0: On this episode, I have here at No Studios in the same room with me, Emily White. She is an entrepreneur, author, a partner at Collective Entertainment, and founder of the I Voted Festival. Now, do you say hashtag I Voted Festival? Or? I usually do. Maybe that makes me sound old, <laughs> but... No, not at all. But it is uh, when you when you see it written out, it's the hashtag I Voted Festival. So uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. So my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. Yeah, and we are here in Milwaukee. You are from the Wisconsin area originally, but uh, cur- but technically currently live in New York, but uh, you're back visiting family and friends. Um, so yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk. Um, tell me uh, tell me about what you're doing currently. Let's start there. Um, tell me about the I Voted Festival.
1: Yeah, um, so we launched hashtag I Voted Festival. Well, actually, we launched hashtag I Voted in 2018. Mm-hmm. I was very inspired being from Wisconsin. Um, because the 2016 presidential election was decided by 22,000 votes and change here in Milwaukee, or here in Wisconsin. It was decided by 10,000 votes and change in uh, Michigan, and I'd read that voter turnout was down in Milwaukee. And I was like, 22,000, that's the Pfizer forum. Why don't we put together a compelling concert and tie in voting? So in 2018, it was just an intern and myself, and we activated over 150 venues in 37 states, to let fans in on election night who showed a selfie from outside their polling place, and all of these amazing artists performed. Um, we had Billie Eilish and My Morning Jacket and Playboy Cardi. Like the list just went on and on. Um, it was really an idea that caught fire. So um, I was holding arenas for 2020 when the pandemic hit. I was hit. I was holding arenas uh, here in Wisconsin and um, and in Michigan. Um, So we pivoted and ended up producing the largest digital concert in history. Um, It had over 450 artists participate, um, fans RSVP'd to access our election night stream with a selfie at home with their blank and unmarked ballot. And instead of just getting artists that we hope people will like or that we think that they'll like, um, we literally booked it per the data um, and reached out to the top streaming artists in and from um, each swing state basically. Um, We weren't funded, so we got through about 17 states. Um, We're working on funding as we speak, Mm -hmm. and um, I'd love to be in, I think there's 56 states and territories that all vote, Mm -hmm. Um, so that'll definitely be the goal. Um, We're building I Voted Festival 2022 right now. Um, It's going to be a hybrid model where we'll activate venues, we're returning to venues And then webcast those shows where available into our online festival, but it also gives artists as well as comedians, athletes, whatever, if they want to do exclusive video messages, it gives artists the flexibility um, to participate in the online festival if they're not on tour or they're not comfortable, you know, returning to shows uh, yet or whatever. So, um,
0: yeah, so that's what we're building. Yeah, that's so cool. And how many states do you expect to be in? this time around
1: i'm not sure maybe this is kind of a weird way to answer um we're talking to some pretty major funding folks that want to run an experiment in ohio and see if they can increase turnout and registration and then scale those efforts nationally in 2024 so i um i am actually putting together uh or i'm presenting tomorrow on a variety of ideas we have where we'll activate venues in Ohio, do the online concert, you know, book artists, um, in and from Ohio, um, see if we can get the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers on board because I voted, it's not, um, limited to music by any means. And the folks we're talking to, uh, and I know, you know, Wisconsin people can really understand this. Um, you know, they're, they're also very interested in like community festivals. Mm -hmm. Like, um, they were talking about, actually didn't find this one in my research, but like, you know, there's some sauerkraut festival that draws tons of people. Right, and right. I noticed there are a hundred community festivals in Ohio during the early voting period next year. So, um, yeah, I think we might take a, um, well, I know we're taking a hybrid approach and, you know, maybe your I voted selfie gets you into an NBA game, online concert, in-person concert, pumpkin fest, whatever. So, um, cool. but then we'll definitely like, um, replicate those efforts in other States, but, um, yeah. The folks we're talking to, I, I, even though I'm like antsy to do every state in 2022, like I understand like, okay, let's do a big experiment in one place and then grow it. So that's okay. kind of where we're at.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So this is a really big undertaking and you, um, you're not just like someone who, who just through this together. I mean, you have a background in events and in in music management and and music in general. Um, So let's go back now and kind of, and um, pick up the breadcrumbs (laughs) and see, and and find out what you know about music, how how you got led to this point. So um, let's go back to, I guess, Wisconsin. (laughs) So how did you get into music uh, to begin with?
1: Sure, Um, I was just a huge fan Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think in eighth grade I was voted, I loved the band, it's, it's a little embarrassing now. People <laughs> say it's not embarrassing. Um, I loved the band Aerosmith in like sixth grade. Um. Actually by the time I was in eighth grade, I was into Britpop and Oasis and stuff. But, um, yeah, so in eighth grade I was uh, named or whatever, like most likely to be a Aerosmith roadie. Maybe it was just a roadie. I feel like Aerosmith <laughs> was still involved. Um, So yeah, I was just super obsessed with music, went to tons of shows. Um, I was a musician as a little kid, but um, wasn't particularly talented. Um, I was a bit more of an athlete growing up. Um, And then I was on like a nerdy music message board when I was a teenager uh, for the band Oasis. And someone said oh, you know, sorry, I haven't been around. Um, I've been applying to schools and I got into uh, Northeastern University's music industry program. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've never heard of that school, but that's my major. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'd never heard of that major either. Um, So I I researched other music business programs. This was in the 90s. There Mm -hmm. weren't very many. Um, And Northeastern was just the perfect fit for me because... uh, they had a really great program. They also alternated semesters going to school and interning. They call it the co-op uh, program. So that was, I, you know, I'm dating. my
0: experience, yeah. yeah
1: well, was. I'm dating myself a little bit, but I was like, I could get credit to like go intern at a record company or something. Yeah. I just couldn't believe that. Um, and they also had a division one swim team. Um, so I was fortunate enough to get a swimming scholarship yeah. to be able yeah. to, to pay for a lot of it. Nice.
0: Nice. And where is Northeastern again? It's in Boston. Boston. Okay. So that's where you ended up after after being here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So um, what did you get into then? What, I mean, what did Northeastern teach you about the business?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I was really green when I got yeah. there. I, I also skipped a grade, so I went to college when I was 17. I looked at New York University. That was kind of my dream program. Mm-hmm. Um, but I toured it as a high schooler. And I don't remember saying this, but I guess I said to my mom, like, I don't think I'm ready for this mm-hmm. yet. Also. NYU is Division Three sports, which means no scholarship money. Um, mm-hmm. So Boston was kind of like the perfect like stepping stone city. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember like in the first um, orientation, like parents were even around, and then there was like a music industry major meeting. I brought my mom not because I was insecure, but just like they're in town from Wisconsin, you can yeah. see what we're doing yeah. or whatever. And my mom will never forget this too. Like all these incoming freshmen went around, and again, this is I graduated in 2000, so this is not like everybody had you know Pro Tools setups, but. Yeah, every kid was like, I have put out albums. I have my own studio. I have my own label. And they get to me, I'm like, I took piano lessons, you know? Right, right. But yeah, I mean, I think, look, you don't have to go to a music business program by any means, but um, in the first college course I ever took, like, you know, day one was music industry one. And the person next to me is my neighbor in Brooklyn now, you know? Mm -hmm. So you start to build your network in day one, you know, from day one, whether you realize it or not. Um, I got my first, well, I, I loved just the Boston music scene, mm-hmm. you know, like, again, I was really into English bands and, um, we have way better promoters here now, like in the Paps theater group guys, but a lot of English bands used to skip Milwaukee mm-hmm. growing up or when I was growing up. So, um, yeah, I just would go to tons of shows in Boston cause nobody that that's a major market. So, you right. know, artists don't miss it. Um, yeah. And then I got my first internship through the school, which I think is really important for people to understand Mm -hmm. whether they have a music business program or not, you know, like take advantage of the resources around you. Mm -hmm. Um, so my first internship was at Powderfinger Promotions, which does college radio promo and PR. Um, I'd never heard of it, so it wasn't necessarily like my dream thing. Um, but it ended up being awesome. Um, the young woman, I mean, she didn't seem like young to me at the time, but the young woman who was interviewing me, um, Winifred Chain. I, you know, I was nervous for my interview, and I mean, in reality, she was 23. She had just graduated. You know, like yes. she, she's still one of my best girlfriends to this day. Also, my neighbor in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, so that was like a great experience. And Win invited me to tons of shows. I said yes to everything. That that's really important for people to understand, um, even if it was, you know, wasn't a genre I was into or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, and Wynn is just such a Buddha and such a big heart and just introduced me to everyone. And, um, so yeah, so I did that. And then at that young age, I didn't know what I wanted to do in music. I was ride or die music, but I promised myself that I wouldn't do the same internship twice Mm -hmm. so I could get to, um, yeah, just try to figure out what I wanted to do. So I had the good problem. We were actually on quarters Mm -hmm. then. So the following quarter, which was the summer, um, I had the good problem of getting two internships. Um, one was at an indie label outside of Boston, and the other was at a big alternative rock radio station um, in Boston. And the radio station was great. Um, no one will know or care at this point, but um, WBCN, it's it's actually very legendary. It's mm-hmm. no longer there. But, um, you know, huge national reach, great, uh, great local people, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was awesome. But then at the indie label, it just didn't feel like I could do anything right, Um, so I was like three days at the radio station, two days at the indie label and, you know, students go through this all the time. Like, uh, you know, should I quit this internship? And I really encourage students to stick it out unless something unethical is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you don't know the benefits you're going to get out of it because I was really obsessed with live music Mm -hmm. and, so um, one day, a musician on the label came in, and he worked at the label part time, and asked me to like help put some press kits together or something. And he was happy with my work, so he said, "Oh, my band's playing the Paradise this weekend with Letters to Cleo. Like, do you want to do merch?" And it was like a "would I" moment. Like, I didn't know how people got those jobs, and I loved Letters to Cleo, and the Paradise was like my favorite venue. Um, so that was my first paid gig in music. Um, Ed paid me fifty bucks, and. Um, he was kind of like the business person in his band. And so he took me on like a little regional tour, um, around new England, uh, to help sell merch. And I ended up meeting a band called the Dresden dolls a few years later and became their tour manager when I was in college. I'm glad I didn't quit that internship because I met my tour managing mentor or my first one.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And the band that, uh, you ultimately started working with. The whole
1: time. I didn't meet the Dresden Dolls through that. Okay. That was a little bit in the future. So let's see if I can get all this out. Um, so let's see. Then that winter, um, I got an internship at what's now Live Nation New England. So, you know, they were the promoter for all the big shows in Boston, which I thought would be a dream. And it's not that it wasn't, mm-hmm. but it was super corporate. So that's another good reminder, especially like you know, the younger people can get into this, like figuring out yeah. what you don't want to do Trying things, yeah. yeah is as important as what you want to do. Although I did get a job um, through that, ripping tickets and doing mm-hmm. guest lists at some of my favorite clubs in Boston. So that was awesome. Met, met a lot of people doing that, let my friends in for free, you know, saw mm-hmm. plenty of shows. <coughs> and then I really wanted to go to New York the following summer. Um, I applied for a whole bunch of internships that I didn't get. And I got an internship at vh one Classic and even at the time, I wanted to be at MTV2. They were doing like Radiohead shows or whatever. Um, you know, I learned pretty quickly that was a television internship. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have all that much to do with music, but um, that helped me, you know, with some experiences later mm-hmm. in my career. And yeah, so I came back to Boston that fall. Um, I was writing for a local music magazine. They asked me to cover the Boston Music Awards. Um, I went to that. I saw the Dolls perform. I was really blown away. So, the Dresden Dolls played at Northeastern at my mm-hmm. school at a really great, um, uh, all ages, sober little nightclub that we have, <coughs> which I always mention because I think it's still there. It's called After Hours, and they pay mm-hmm. artists really well. So, that's why we're able to get um, good artists coming through, mm-hmm. although the Dresden Dolls are from Boston. So, I knew they were a local band, but a local band on the rise. And so I was nervous to introduce myself um, to them there at the merch table. Cause naively I was like, Oh, like, you know, they're doing so well, like, why would they need help? And that again, totally naive in hindsight. Cause uh, an artist really, really artists need help all the time, but an artist on the rise has so much going on. So Yeah, so I introduced myself to uh, the front woman Amanda Palmer and I said, you know, I'm studying music business, I intern at WBCN, I write for Scope magazine. Let me know if you ever need help with anything. And Amanda's like, can you come over tomorrow? And it turned out she lived in this amazing artist commune that was like a 10 minute walk from campus and um, at the cloud club. It was a really special place. It still is a really special place. Um, Yeah, and so the first thing Amanda needed help with is, um, again, she was booking the band, doing PR, writing back to fans. Like, you know, maybe they had an attorney, maybe they had a merch company, but they didn't really have a team yet. And so um, Amanda has a really aggressive style of playing keyboard. And so she had developed pretty bad tendonitis. And she was like, can you take dictation for me? Huh. And so I think a lot of times, because um, I also have a book out called Interning 101, and I work with a lot of students. And I think a lot of times, You know, we can think, oh, well, I'm not going to school to, like, learn how to take dictation. Um, But in hindsight, you know, there's no better way to get inside your boss's head, a band's head, a business's head. You know, sometimes I still feel like I know Amanda's brain a little bit better than or as well as she does. Um, So, yeah, I just really um, integrated myself into a core member of the band's team. Um, I did every task you know, as well as I could, with joy, mm-hmm. and really grew up professionally with that band. Um, so like I said, uh, you know, when I was in college, they were going on their first, um, air quotes, national tour, but they were also playing South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And so I was on co-op that semester, or that following semester, and I said, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I could sell your merch. I've, I've always wanted to tour manage. And Amanda's like, well, this is a band decision. I have to check with Brian, like it's a two person band. And so like a week went by told my friends, like, I might be going to South By. I don't know what's going on. And, um, and then I was at Amanda's house, and I said, hey, did you get a chance to talk to Brian about me tour managing? She's like, no, I totally forgot. And he was in the other room, and she was like, hey, Brian, can Emily be our tour manager? And he's like, yeah, that's cool. And that's when I emailed Ed Velasquez and said, okay, I got this gig tour managing. What do I do? And he gave me all this information and, and taught me to do it. So that was the, the musician from the label, you know, a year or two prior. Um,
0: Can I go back and just ask a quick question about the interning with them? One of the things, um, you know, when you asked Amanda Palmer if you could first work with her, um, did you ask for money right away? No. And a couple of things on that.
1: Um, First, she had had offers from fans to help. But she told me later that I presented myself professionally, Mm -hmm. that I was studying music business, that I was doing. I was a fan, for sure, Mm -hmm. but I was on a professional track. And that's something really important for artists to understand. Um, I've seen artists take on, frankly, sycophants, like people that are just obsessed with them. And it can be really hard to turn that down, because it's like, oh my gosh, someone wants to work on my stuff 24-7 but someone that's on a professional path is going to be a little more balanced and not like yell and scream and fight to the death for you and maybe like hurt some relationships. Mm -hmm. So that stood out. Um, no, well, the band didn't have any money. Right. You know, um, cause I
0: I think it's important for, um, you know, for, for maybe some people listening (coughs) to, um, to realize like a lot of your first opportunities are not going to be money making. Um, as much as we want them to be, uh, you, you, even at the level when you're working with, with a band that might be making money,
1: um, uh, if, if the band's making money, they should pay you. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was a local band. they were still local at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Local band on the rise. But on that first, um, tour that I tour managed, um, first let me make it clear. Cause I'd, I'd also been helping them out by then at, at shows locally, uh, doing merch and stuff. Um, so when, when they said yes to me, tour managing, I don't know if we talked about this. I just knew um, all my expenses would be covered. You know, like I talked to a student a few years ago that was like, this band is letting me drive them and I just have to pay for my flight home from California. I'm like, that's no, Mm -hmm. like that. They're taking advantage of you. Don't do that. Um, So yeah, I ate really well on that tour. Um, You know, I remember Amanda bought some nice dresses for herself. She bought me one. I actually just wore it for Halloween. (laughs) Um, And then when I came back, they bonus me 500 bucks, which felt like, a, I mean, that's still pretty good right. actually, they but will, like felt,
0: felt like a million dollars to a 21 year old or whatever. Right, They'll appreciate you when they can, Yeah, but you, they don't always know when that.
1: At the same time, you know, I meet people all the time that are managing their first artists and not commissioning. You need to be commissioning day one, dollar one. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a little bit different because I was a student, um, And we just grew up professionally together, Mm -hmm. like so much so that um, when I graduated college, I didn't walk because we were at Coachella that day starting like a three continent tour with Nine Inch Nails. Mm -hmm. And um, probably a few months prior to that, the band had taken on management by then, this amazing person named Mike Luba. Forever grateful for that. And we were in LA, Um, the band was doing a radio session at KCRW. And Luba and I were in the Mm -hmm. control room and he said, um, and when you graduate, you'll come work for me in New York. And that's how I got my first job. It wasn't posted anywhere. You know, I didn't apply. Mm -hmm. I've never used my resume since. Every experience Mm -hmm. has just led to the next. Um, I made myself indispensable to Mm -hmm. that band Mm -hmm. so much so that they wrote into their contract with their management company that they would pay a higher commission if Madison house employed mm-hmm. me. My mm-hmm. name was written into the contract. I'm also really fortunate that Mike Luba, um, <laughs> I mean, to his benefit saw the value in me. Cause mm-hmm. I think some people would have been threatened by how close I was to the band and how much work I was to him. And he had other big clients. So I think he was mm-hmm. like, Oh sweet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's doing all this work, but he was also really, um, humble. You know, we'd be backstage at festivals, with you know, the founders of Bonnaroo or whatever, and he'd be like, yeah, this is the Dresendoll's real manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so we worked it out where I would tour manage the band because I really, I knew I didn't want to do that forever, but we were going all over the world. And um, yeah, so I would tour manage the band. And then when I wasn't on the road, um, I would work at uh, Madison House is a management company based in Colorado, but they had a New York office at the time. So I would work in the New York office doing day-to-day management for the band. Um, artists pay their tour managers, uh, management companies pay managers. Um, so basically like two entities got to pay a part-time employee and then I was basically Mm full-time if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, can I ask you one fangirl question about Miranda Palmer real fast and then we'll get back to the business part. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. I, I, um, and I, I loved when I was, uh, first introduced to you because like there are a lot of things that, that, um, was that you said that were like, oh man, like so many things about Emily. I'm just like, I'm right there with, but number one was like that you've worked with Amanda Palmer because, um, not necessarily from the music point of view. I, I still, I love her music, but, um, I'm just obsessed with how she works. And, um, mm-hmm. I, ever since I first read an article, the article in the New York times about her, um, where, cause I still actually get the New York Times delivered, which nice. is kind of weird, but um, I love it. I, I love feeling I love mature the that way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I saw that article about how much money she had raised on Kickstarter and how she did it. And then I think that was the same time that her book was coming out. Mm-hmm. And then I had to get the book. I was like, you know, from from uh, a person, myself being, having an arts administration background, mm-hmm. I've, you know, done a lot of fundraising. I was like, this is fascinating to me. I want to find out how she's done it. So I, I loved like diving into her mind and like sure. and see, and it's it's so much about like human connection. Yeah, and uh, and that's really something I've really taken into what I do, um, and that's why Wisconsin Music Ventures was started like with in in a lot of ways the way it was with the patron base at first and everything because that like her mind is like. You know, one and the same with, with how, how I want to operate. Um, and so, that being said, <laughs> like, what's she really like? <laughs> oh, I don't... I, I wouldn't even know how to
1: answer that. Yeah. Um, Amanda... Well, maybe this is a weird way to respond. She gets a bad rap. Yeah. That's for sure. She's a really sweet person. She's a really kind soul. She's off the wall, for sure. Yeah.
0: I don't think she's off no? the wall at all, really? actually. Really? The way her book, uh, the way she portrays herself a little bit (laughs) in some of, you know, how she wrote, um, Mm -hmm. you know, she's, she's almost like Lady Gaga before Lady Gaga was a thing. You know what I mean? Um, and, and how she just appears, you know, her presence and everything.
1: Yeah. But I don't, I still don't think she, I just think she's a really artistic person. Yeah. Yeah. She's really smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's a really kind soul, really generous um gets a bad rap um and I say that just because you know sometimes like i'll I'll mention examples from her career and someone will say something negative in in the chat or whatever and um you know, and then I'll text a friend I'm like why why do people do that you know and and the friend's like yeah i'll never I'll never understand it so um she works super hard, she's really talented um you know, not to go back to business, but you know, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about Mm -hmm. and that think that people admire, like she's all about things that make sense, you know? So like when I was taking dictation in 2002 or whatever, like she had an email list for her fans and like no one was talking about that at conferences or anything. But um, I've I've talked about this a lot. I mean it with all due respect. Like it came, there wasn't even like email list software. She was just like BCCing people. Um, But it kind of came out of fear of like, well, she would say this, like, what if you go away? What if my, maybe they had a booking agent by then. What if Matt Hickey goes away? What if, you know, my fancy attorney goes away? This is all I have to share my music and my art and my Mm -hmm. shows with people. So um, it was a really exciting time. And I've, as you know, I've done a ton of my career, but people ask me about this band and Mm -hmm. this time all the time. And I'm, I'm really grateful for all of it. We just we just found all this stuff really exciting. We love technology and the internet and empowering artists. And, but again, it came, we weren't like trying to be forward thinking. It was more like, oh, cool. Like you can email your fans about shows and stuff. You know, again, we were just all about things that yeah. made sense. So I know I keep saying it. What Amanda is like, she is uh, a, a sweet spirit and soul who changed my life. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to know her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And So what was the touring like with the Dresden dolls? It was awesome. Yeah. How many years were you on the road with them?
1: Um, I really tour managed from age 20 to 23. Okay. I kind of retired from tour management after that, but it was awesome. We had the best time. (laughs) I mean, if, you know, to grow up professionally, you know, with, with an artist was really amazing. We were all kind of figuring it out together. Like each stage got bigger, went to like all the big festivals, went to, you know, probably 30 countries in a year, um, really learned how to travel. Really. It's such a cool way to believe it or not, like experience other cultures because you have a concert promoter waiting for you in Japan or New Zealand or whatever, who wants to show you a lot of things and, you know, take you to dinner and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I think we're all just pretty wide eyed and figuring it out. Um, I mean, I'm having memories of like, I mean, I just was so stoked to be like backstage at these festivals and, you know, so many so many of my favorite artists uh, were there and Amanda knows so many things that most people don't know, like speaks multiple languages and, you know, I mean, her band is Brechtian Punk Cabaret, right? right. But like, she doesn't always know about pop culture, so I would be like, this is this person, this is that person, but um, yeah, we just had the best time. We had a pretty, um, you know... Uh, equal band and crew as far as, like, gender and gender fluidity went. Um, I met, you know, my best friend was our merch girl. Um, I'm not supposed to call our sound person Psycho Dave anymore. He's <laughs> Professional Dave now. But these were all, like, Boston mm. crew people that we hired, and um, they're they're forever family. So It was yeah. a really... I mean, we still have tons of inside jokes that, you know, we text and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, anyone knows who's touring. It. It's, like, it just becomes family because you're just spending... 24 yeah. 7, 365 together basically.
0: Yeah. How did you tour? What transportation?
1: Um, we started in a van named Ludwig. <laughs> um, and then, oh, I also did an internship in London um, at MTV VH1. And that was a difficult decision. So that was my plan. I was like, gonna go work in the UK music industry. That was the whole goal. Camp outside. Uh, Marcus Russell's office, who manages Oasis, until I could like help with anything. But I met this band instead, and so I really was so fortunate because they're like, I got this internship, they're like, go do it, we're here when you come back, um, which was amazing. They did their first European tour when I was in London, so I was able to go see them in Sweden and maybe Germany or something. Um, but also when I was gone, they did their first bus tour in North America, and I was like super bummed to be missing that. Not bummed in hindsight because it was a super cheap bus that, like, broke down all the time. But, um, yeah, I think we did our first bus tour um, on that Nine Inch Nails tour in 2005, of which we lost thousands of dollars because tour buses are extremely expensive. Uh, but we didn't really have a way to keep up, keep up with Nine Inch Nails routing otherwise. Mm. Um, we made up for it by doing some college shows on off days. Sure. Um it was a little early internet if it was nowish or pre-pandemic we would have probably done some house shows and stuff sure. and that, that's a strategy i've done with artists who are supporting and opening for other artists and, mm-hmm. and losing money to do so it's like let's book some house shows mm-hmm. um so yeah so that's how we got around uh, flying sometimes though you know just it depends
0: yeah yeah it's always fun to hear the stories of like how people got to where they are and i mean any any particular stories from road that you want to share
1: well, I, again, I, when you're, it's not what you're asking about, but my brain's <laughs> kind of like thinking about transportation. Like, um, I remember we were hanging out with Ben Folds in Australia and I don't know why this came up, but Ben was talking about, cause again, tour buses are really expensive yeah. and uh, when I was touring, it was like a thousand bucks a day, I'm sure it's more now. And so Ben said he was presented with two tour budgets one day, one in a bus. And one, one with a van. And when he saw he would make like hundreds of thousands of dollars more in a van, he's like, "I'll roll up to David Letterman in a van. I don't care. So if it's good enough for Ben Foles, it's good enough for the rest there of us." There you go. I love
0: that, man. Cool. And so you were doing that until about two thousand three, you said. Um... Two thousand six. I probably okay. Two thousand three to two thousand six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what happened after that?
1: So we were in New York for a show where I lived, um, but was not there very often. And I was in uh, the management company's office, and the two partners sat me down one day, and, uh, or that day, and they're like, touring sucks. Like, you mm-hmm. should come off the road. Um, and what they were trying to say is, uh, we've taken on more artists and we need mm-hmm. your help. It was perfect timing because I knew a lot of these venues and hotels better than my neighborhood in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just came off the road, and then I became a, a full-time manager at, at Madison House. So it was a pretty seamless transition.
0: Nice. And were you there, you know, for quite some time?
1: I was there, I guess, um, well, yeah, a couple of years. There was still, like, the touring years, but then I guess full-time for a couple of years. I mean, I loved my life, you know, I would work really hard all day. My best friend became our office manager. We'd run around to shows all night. Um, I kind of wondered where it would all go or where it would end. And the end, wondering where it would end was... Kind of a weird thing because I was enjoying myself, but, like, it was a grind, you know? Um, Around that time, I had written... Okay, so I had seen a fan come up to Amanda at a show, give her a check for a few hundred dollars, and say, I just want to support you and your art. And she was coming out with her first solo album, produced by Ben Folds, and um, I knew the label would never let us do this, but I was like, you know, again, technology-wise, this is 2007 I was like, why can't we just put it up as a zip file and do a suggested donation Mm -hmm. like a museum or something? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wrote a business plan, shared it with my two bosses. Luba's like, this is amazing. Let's get on a call now. My other boss is like, this will never work. Go back to working on your artists. Um, But I started kind of working on it in my spare time. And then a few months later, Radioheads in Rainbows came out, which was the exact same business model. And my naysaying boss, um, his favorite band is Radiohead. So he was kind of like, Radiohead stole your idea. <laughs> um, but I'm mentioning this because Mike Luba ended up kind of getting recruited to go be a part of um, Live Nation Artists, which, is a, which was a new half a billion dollar division of Live Nation. Um, uh, and so he passed along my business plan to Bob Ezrin, who produced Pink Floyd's The Wall, amongst a million other things. And Bob was basically leading up the recording division. Um, long story short, I became a part of that. Um, that was in Miami. It was led by Michael Cole, who's the Rolling Stones longtime concert promoter. So I was 24 years old and picked up and moved to Miami. Um, and our first signees were, um, Madonna, U2 and Jay-Z. And then the fourth was a guy named Zach Brown. Mm -hmm. And I'd never heard a Zach Brown band. No one had, um, (laughs) And you didn't they
0: kind of come out of nowhere, huh? <laughs> well,
1: I, you know, they're like, well, let's have Emily work on this artist because she knows how to use the internet. And I was like, okay, what are his ticket counts in Nashville? I don't know anything about country. Um, and the answer was forty-four zero. And I was like, okay, we've got some work to do. Um, so yeah, so we started building that up. It, you know, the first few months of that—that's th- now Rock Nation. This was like the l- earliest stage right. of that, um, but it was a blast for a few months. It was basically a think tank. It was a really cool time in like technology meets music yeah, and yeah. Bob Ezrin would just be like, try this Emily, think this way. You know, it was just awesome. It was very different from artist management. Cause I went from being really busy to just kind of like throwing ideas at the wall and, and seeing what would stick. Um, but yeah, but then there were rumors in the wall street journal that Michael Cole wasn't getting along with Michael Rapinoe, Um And then we were laid off seven mm-hmm. months in, which was like a really big deal to me at the time, but is not a big deal in mm-hmm. hindsight. Um, again, I was 24. I had other job offers. Um, there were other people with kids and mortgages that had moved down there. And, right, right. Um, so a total nightmare for a lot of people. And I was fortunate that, um, like I said, I did have some job offers. Um, Luba and and both sat me down, and they were like, you know, you know all sides of this business. You should move back to Brooklyn and start a management company. Um, there's, it's true, there were artists... Um, calling me, wanting me to work with me and, or wanting to work with me. And, um, they're like, if you need money or anything, we're here, but, um, you know, and you're welcome to stay with us, but we're blocked by a non-compete. So we can't really do music for two years. And that's not really you. Um, so I did just that. I moved back to Brooklyn, um, launched, a. Management company uh, quickly partnered with a comedy manager. Um, We were around for 10 years. Uh, We expanded into sports in 2012. Um, Our comedy division managed W. Kamau Bell. We had writers on John Oliver. Um, I was managing a ton of artists. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on a swimming scholarship and come from a family of swim coaches. So I started managing the rock star of Olympic swimming, Anthony Irvin, in 2012. He went on to win... Um, the Olympic gold medal in the 50 free in 2016, 16 years after he won his first one. So that story was pretty wild. Um, Yeah. And then my business partner left management a few years ago. So I uh, partnered with a few Mm protégés and we launched Collective Entertainment. And I said, you know, on one hand, I want this to be whatever you want, but on the other, I'm just moving our music and sports Mm -hmm. division over. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that pretty much brings us up to date. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is a lot to take in, but uh, it's such a fun and fascinating story. So, mostly artist management, a yeah. little bit more behind the scenes, music industry kind of work. Uh, what would you call that when you were in, in Florida? What was oh, your title there?
1: Um, <laughs> I don't even know what my title was, because everybody was just making stuff up. I was part of the recording division, so yeah. these were all... Um, I mean, it was like, you know... if If it was then, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. It was these 360 deals that were yeah. getting announced, so... Um, I was basically part of the recording division. Luba was A&R. That might've been all we had. Maybe we had a sponsorship team or something. Got
0: it. And then, uh, back to starting your own management group. Did you expect to find yourself in music management in artist management, I should say? That's a good question. Um, no,
1: (laughs) I just loved music so much and wanted to support the source of it, which is artists Mm -hmm. and be on their side and, um, You know, managers historically can get kind of a bad rap, and I understand that, but, you know, be nice to people that are working on commission, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, we're, you know, publicists, radio promo people, there's a a lot of team members that are gonna get paid whether you're successful or not. That is not the case with your manager. Mm -hmm. Um, So I consider management relationships to be partnerships. Mm -hmm. I don't work for them, they don't work for me. I mean, I've retired from artist management at this point, but, um, yeah, so I didn't set out to do it, and what was weird about that is, um, you know, people said I was good at it and I got a lot of press and attention about it. Like I, my name was on the cover of billboard in 2012, like mm-hmm. for my management company and, and the work I was doing and, and how I was doing it. And that's, that was kind of weird then. And it's still a little weird in hindsight. Cause like I said, it's like, I didn't set out to do that. And yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. So, um, And that's probably why I'm not doing it now, you know, like, or I guess it's, you know, I was just kind of doing, it's like, okay, people say I'm good at this and I'm getting attention for doing this, but that doesn't mean that's why you should do it. I don't have any regrets. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I intimately and deeply understand artists and um, their teams and how things function. And that helps me immensely every day at iVoted Festival, Mm -hmm. whether I'm explaining... That to investors or our team, or like, what about this or what about that? And I'm like, here's an easier way to do it, or here's what artists will like, or here's what they won't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, with the tour managing stuff, like to, to have such a deep understanding of the economics of the concert industry mm-hmm. and then t- to be able to apply that to voter turnout is mm-hmm. not. I mean, I, I guess it doesn't matter that I didn't plan on being an artist manager because I didn't plan on working on voter turnout <laughs> either.
0: So everything is kind of happening very organically. Yeah, just one thing leading into That's the next. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. Hey, it's perfect. I mean, sometimes that's better, you Yeah, know, just letting things lead the way. It's
1: yeah. okay. You know, and it's so interesting because I remember being that 20-year-old and, like, talking to bosses, like, you know, just so stressed out about, like, figuring out what I want to mm-hmm. do. And now I meet 20-year-olds that are like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, da, 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 but I don't think I'm doing enough. And I'm like, you're fine. Just work <laughs> hard, be nice to people, go to stuff, and you'll be fine.
0: Right, Yeah that actually leads into, yeah, one of the questions I was going to ask is like, what would you say to someone who's currently looking to get into the industry? Is is that is I mean, along those lines? Yeah, say yes to everything. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you know, don't burn yourself out completely, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, go, go to everything, even if it doesn't sound like fun or is a genre, you know, you're not into or whatever, and then make yourself indispensable. Mm-hmm. And that's a big reason why I wrote Interning 101. Mm-hmm. I saw you know students showing up from some of the best universities in the world and just not knowing how to do anything yeah. um i've been getting a lot of feedback lately that that book needs to be kind of reformatted as kind of modern business 101 because we're constantly pointing people back to the tenants of that book to teach them you know how to communicate effectively and um and and how to find balance like in in their own careers mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes people are kind of offended when I'm like, here's a free copy of this. And, but I explained to them, like, the tenets of this book are how my business partner and I operate, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, in all my spare time, maybe I'll do a rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what
0: that. was the inspiration be- behind Interning 101?
1: Just that I was explaining that stuff to people over and over. Yeah. I did not set out to be an author. Um, I wrote like an, uh, like an intern manifesto for our company because I mm-hmm. thought, okay, well, they can reference this handbook um and then ask us questions and that's going to save everyone time and then they, and then that'll help them to work on higher level things which is what they want too. and then i had two really amazing um interns from NYU one summer and i turned around and i said if i turn this into like a 100 page how to book for you and your classmates would this be helpful and they were like yes
0: <laughs> so that's why i did yeah that's amazing I should get a copy of that from for the uh, interns that I work with, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, why didn't I think of that sooner? Um, and you have another book, too, that we should talk about. Um, was that the first book that you wrote, Interning, Interning 101? Interning 101 okay. was first, okay. yeah. yeah. And was there another one before the most recent one? Nope. Okay, so tell us about the most recent one. Then.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I have this book, How to Build a Sustainable Music mm-hmm. Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Once again, um, it was information that I was... Uh, explaining to people over and over. Um, so I wrote it all down. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had basically no help. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like my publisher bailed, the few people who I asked to read it, I, you know, one of them did. Um, but it's an Amazon number one bestseller. Um, I turned it into a podcast where I bring, um, the book to life in podcast Mm -hmm. form. That's the number one music business podcast in America. Um, So I'm just really floored that the information is is resonating with people. It's it's information that's out there. Mm -hmm. I've just never seen it put in order from recording to release or creation to execution. So um, I guess I shouldn't be terribly surprised that it's resonating with so many musicians. It's just really um, heartwarming to see so many musicians sharing it and then tagging other musicians and seeing Mm -hmm. it spread Mm -hmm. that way. Um, yeah, so yeah, that, that's turned into a, a beast of its own, but I'm, I'm thrilled.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great podcast. And I like that you're taking like a, what is it? A chapter of the book and then kind of expounding on it with a podcast guest or yeah, pretty yeah, much. is that how you're selecting? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, it's my podcast so I can do what I want, but, but yeah, there, there was and is a vision for that. Um, you know, just, I, I handpicked Guests like um, Justin Vernon and Imogen Heap and Cam Franklin from The Suffers, uh, you know Don Passman. Um, it really goes on and on. But I handpicked all those people for specific chapters, and I think I, I don't think I know that's why it's resonating with people. Not because those are big names, but because they are the right people for those things. Mm-hmm. And you know that's chapter one of the book. Get your art together. Mm-hmm. You know, like don't ask you know, me, what I think or what you think or whatever. Like, is this your art that's true to your heart and your soul and your spirit? Cause mm-hmm. that's, what's going to connect with other people. Um, cause I literally had someone ask me, did you just ask the biggest people, you know, to be on your podcast? I'm like, no, not mm-hmm. at all. I thought of the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's, it basically follows the book of you know, bringing each chapter to life. Um, Sometimes I, you know, I I think for like the live episode I have, or sorry, the the live chapter I have three episodes because there was three different things I wanted to talk about. Um, I interviewed, uh, one of my favorite humans, Randy Nichols for the kind of manager. When do we need a team episode? I did feel like we covered all the nuts and bolts, but then I'm like, it would be really cool to talk to Amici, who manages run the jewels. So then I just did another kind of management episode. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much done with it. I need to record like the afterward episode this week. Um, cause we are going to be launching an I voted, uh, podcast next year, which I've been wanting to do nice. for a really long time. Yeah. Um, but the podcast has been so successful that I might bring it back in 2023, like maybe through, uh, uh, maybe here at no studios, uh, yeah. maybe through like a workshop series, um, because, you know, I hesitated, at, um, on writing that book for a long time because the information does get outdated with right. technology right. and stuff. So. I'm like, well, maybe I I go through the chapters in the series again in 2023 and bring in new guests and Different and update people, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and keep it going. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, again, thank you to everyone who's been, um, listening and posting
0: and and all that all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely check it out, and uh, I'll ask you at the end for how we can find you. So. Uh, we'll We'll get back to that in a moment, but uh, I have just a couple of uh, other questions here, and what are what are some of the bigger challenges been for you in the industry uh, throughout the years?
1: That's a good question. I mean, not to be obnoxious. I don't think I had too many when I was younger because mm. I was working really hard. Um, so that was kind of a benefit to everyone. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, we were talking about substances before this. Like, that's something I I don't think we talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, to young people or at a young age. So I no longer drink. Mm -hmm. And it would have been nice. I don't blame anyone, but it would have been nice to have maybe a little more information about that coming up. Um, I was sexually harassed multiple times. Mm -hmm. I had no information or I had no idea what to do on that. I mean, that, that's definitely changed a little bit. Has it
0: been difficult being a female in the industry for you?
1: I didn't really know better when I was younger because, um, I was a swimmer growing up and we all trained together. Mm -hmm. So I think I just kind of had the mentality, like if I could beat guys in the pool, Mm -hmm. why is, you know, career any different? But in hindsight, um, these are things like if I ever start a music business program, like I want to make sure there are, you know, sexual harassment workshops, Mm -hmm. substance workshops, because we just don't talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I had to learn the hard way on a lot of this stuff. I'm okay. But, um, and I would say now as a 39 year old, um, it is really fucking hard to get funding as a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, actually I meant to mention this before when we were talking about internships. Um, I'm on the board of a really amazing nonprofit called Well Done mm-hmm. and they fund entertainment industry internships for underserved interns. Mm-hmm. So if you're a woman, person of color, you know, looking, uh, if, if there's a, um, unpaid internship you want and you're looking for a scholarship for that, or you're looking for paid internships at, you know, frankly, a really high level in the music industry, check out Well Done. But I think there is, I I don't think, I know there's way more work to be done because Mm. the industry is very enthusiastic about well done, right? Like they're like, yeah, we want like more diversity. Awesome. But like, they're also not hiring and promoting people. Mm -hmm. So like I built the largest digital concert in history with no money and I still don't really have funding for next year yet. Mm -hmm. That could Mm -hmm. change as quickly as tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I think we're very close, but like I don't know what else I need to do as an entrepreneur to show Mm -hmm. people success and and what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, we need to invest and promote, um, women and people of color, Mm -hmm. um, and not just, uh, talk the talk Mm -hmm. because it is a very progressive industry, but, um, yeah, we like I said, we, we need to walk the walk more.
0: Yeah. We're still falling very short. Yeah. In a lot of places for sure. Is there a lesson that you've learned along the way that you, that really stands out to you? I mean, I get that a lot. I think people are kind of
1: looking for some I don't know. It's not, or I get also like, um, yeah, what do you wish younger you would have known? But I kind of already said it, you know, yeah. just, um, you know, say yes to everything, make yourself indispensable. I don't say yes to everything anymore though. You know, right, like I'm right. at this. When you get to a certain point. You exactly. Can, yeah. and, and it's still important to, you know, um, maintain that balance when you're younger. But again, like. I'm a huge geek about sleep. You know, like I taught artist management at NYU. I had the book, um, why we sleep as like a recommended text. And the two kids who read it are like, oh my gosh, like I'm sleeping more and my grades are better and you know, just everything's better. So, um, yeah, the younger you can find, you know, just maybe sleep more and then you can do more stuff.
0: (laughs) How do you manage a life in the music business? Get enough sleep, get every, all the promotion done that you need to How do you keep it all together?
1: Well, I don't really go to shows anymore, Mm -hmm. so that's a huge thing. But um, I just prioritize my health, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's something I was trying to explain to my dad the other day. You know, he said something like, well, I'm not making any money if I'm at the gym. I'm like, I couldn't disagree with you more um, because that's going to give you a more clear mind Mm -hmm. to solve problems and and how you approach things. So my health and wellness Mm -hmm. comes first. Um, I sleep nine hours a night. I exercise first thing. Um, I eat local foods, Mm -hmm. um, and then I start my day and, you know, I, in a weird way, I used to think like that routine was going to hold me back somehow Mm -hmm. in life, but now it's just, it's, it's what makes me thrive. And, um, you know, if I am up late or something and I am starting work at 11 or 1 or whatever, mm-hmm. like, that's that's when I'm starting... I just pretend I'm on the, on the West Coast then. <laughs> I love that mentality. Yeah, it can but be But I think it's really important, and I wonder if you've run into this, that, um, you know, I don't have any regrets, but I... Th- and I do think younger people are better about this now, but just make sure you hang on to your non-music friends also, because yes. this yeah. stuff can be really fun and addicting, but... Um, you know, it, it comes and goes and, and you need to stay grounded at the same time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I was never one, I, I never hung out with the music people, <laughs> strangely enough. I was That's like, all I did coming, you yeah. know, th- you know, I hope this
1: has changed, but it hasn't, I mean, I'm from Heartland, Wisconsin, like no offense to the arts programs there. Cause I'm sure there, are, I think there are very good kind of classical mm-hmm. programs, but it's like you know, we we had this poster at Arrowhead, my high school, something for everyone. And it was all athletes, right? Mm-hmm. And I was an athlete, but, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of creativity coming mm-hmm. out of Heartland. So I think that's why I was so obsessed when I got to Boston and just wanted mm-hmm. to like meet creative, hang out at the cloud club, you know, uh, Amanda mm-hmm. and Dresden dolls and meet all these artists. And uh, I don't, I don't just mean like, like artists like to be cool, like artistic mm-hmm. people, you know, and music people. And, um, so I don't know, as I'm saying that, I guess, I guess, getting addicted to that was kind of inevitable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And as we're talking right now, I, you know, I'm thinking back when I was in college, um, actually my closest friends were in the athletics department and then were like the trainers and, you know, and, and assistant coaches and things. And that might, you know, thinking back, that might've actually rubbed off on me a little bit because we didn't have a very strong music business program. Mm -hmm. And so I got some of that business and from the sports friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. But that, that's, that was my crowd actually more of the, the sports crowd. Um, and you know, I played p- concerts with the musicians and things, but eh, personality wise, it wasn't always the best fit. So sure. Yeah. But interesting. Um, yeah. And then, um, is there a favorite, uh, event that you've ever worked along the way?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> How do you, yeah. I mean, when you're asking about touring memories, um, yeah. I'm really obsessed with Noel Gallagher from Oasis and he dedicated Don't Look Back in Anger to Me at a festival yeah. in Germany. So that was pretty amazing. And this isn't music, but, um, you know, being at the Olympics when Anthony Irvin won that gold medal by 1-100th was one of the wildest experiences mm-hmm. of my life, um... So I guess those are two that stand up, but it's it's like picking favorite kids or yeah. something. It's
0: really difficult. Yes, I know you're not the first to say that here. But the festivals,
1: <laughs> the, all the all the festivals in 2005 when when I was hardcore touring, you know, Glastonbury and Fuji Rock and Reading and Leeds were really like special experiences yeah. and dreams come true for sure yeah.
0: and they're also different from each other yeah right? yeah they're the yes great... and no I mean
1: the the famous ones are those, yeah. those are famous for a reason but yeah. otherwise it's kind of like okay I, I don't mean this how it's I can't believe these words are coming out of my <laughs> mouth but it's like okay another European festival yeah there's a lot yeah. but um it was a great time for sure
0: yeah yeah And uh, is there anything that we didn't cover on this uh in the, on our little chat here that you'd like to bring up No, you're killing it. (laughs) I mean, just that I would love
1: to be a resource, um, especially to Mm -hmm. um, up-and-coming industry people in Wisconsin, even if you're 14 or whatever. like I found Don Passman's book at Brookfield Square when I was 14, and that's when I realized this could be a job. Mm -hmm. And now I contribute to that book. Mm -hmm. Um, So... And then also I remember I was in, I was at the Mark, well, back in the day, the Marcus Amphitheater in fifth grade, um, sixth grade seeing REM and seeing yeah. people stand on the side of the stage. And I was like, well, why do they get to watch there? Like, right. You right. Know, they're a person. I'm a person. So if you're, if you're trying to figure that stuff out, feel free to find me and, and hit me up. Cause like my heart is very much with, you know, um, people from Wisconsin who want to be in the music industry. Mm-hmm. You don't need to swim the 200 butterfly and go to Boston or whatever. I mean, you right. just introduced me to UW Oshkosh's program. Oh my I'm gosh, thrilled yeah. that exists.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. where, I mean. It's starting to be more and more of a thing. People are starting to, well, you know, and I, I, I've had this conversation on the show with other people, but I mean, if if, if there's not a resource in the schools, people are gonna find yeah, it elsewhere. That's right. So um, I, I think some of the schools are starting to put their own yeah. things together, which is really nice to see. And yeah, UW Oshkosh has a great program. M A T C locally here. Yeah, they do. Yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm really glad to see uh, some some of our Wisconsin areas um, universities starting to pick up on on some things. I know uh, there's of course nationally other great schools too, but but uh,
1: you don't have to do any of that. It's just nice to have that support system. And then like you know, there's a there's a young manager I know here, and she went to Madison, and she. I mean, it's not like FOMO, but I think she just has some insecurities of like stuff that she didn't learn. I'm like, no, this, the point of me, I think the point, and I've taught in them, no offense to like my amazing colleagues, but like, to me, the point of a music business program is to go out in the field, try to figure this stuff out, bring it back in the classroom and talk about it with your classmates and be like, this worked, this didn't, this sucked, this was awesome and try to figure it out together. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: There's, so much of it is has to be hands-on, mm-hmm. I would say, yeah. yeah. But then, then again, you have that support group to talk about the yep. mistakes you made. Or... Yes, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, I mean, and, and because even if you have a book to go through, which, I mean, there are some really great ones, um, it, you know, but those books change, the, the, the material yeah. changes over so fast right now. Um, it's, I mean, Ari Hurstance, like, I think we talked about him before his book on the, the new music business. Um, what is that called again? Um, anyways, it came out, what in, um, 2020 and I remember reading it in the spring of yeah, last year, right as COVID was hitting. And then, I mean, everything in that super thorough, rich textbook, um, which is amazing. Everything is Already different, you know. Mm-hmm. Several months later, because of COVID, yeah, <laughs> it's just amazing how fast everything changes. So, uh, the hands-on thing is is and, and just you know shadowing people, interning, sure. all of that, yeah, is is a huge huge resource itself. So, I definitely have to check out the intern book. So. Yeah, that's, I'll send that's you one. Be on my radar. <laughs> yeah. How can we find out more information from from you about you?
1: Cool. We um, well, you? I'm at mwhizzle on mm-hmm. Wizzle on most social media. Um, the podcast is free, mm-hmm. um, you know, so check can that I out again? how to build a sustainable music career and mm-hmm. collect all revenue streams. Okay. Awesome. And yeah. tune into I voted festival. It'll be, uh, November 8th, 2022 yeah. on election night. Um, so you can go to I Concerts, uh, dot com and, and see what we're up to. All
0: right. Emily white. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Newmeyer. Thanks again.